You're listening to a Wheels on the Ground production. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and Clonopussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. If you shop at Clonawilly.com right now and use the promo code DARKPOD at checkout, you can get 20% off site-wide. Wow! That's a deal that cannot be cloned. I talked to one of the representatives the other day, and they are more than willing to answer any questions you have about how to make your own clone willy or clone pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you, and they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own clone willy or clone a pussy kit right now, head over to clonawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD, that's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember, this is a deal that cannot be cloned. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled, we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark. I'm Andrew Gerza, your deliciously disabled daddy. Let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get the show started, shall we? First thing is first, if you want to support the show, I would love your support. You can support us in one of two ways. You can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and give us a monthly monetary donation, which I would super appreciate. Thank you so much. And for that, you would get a sexy, awkward shout-out on the air. More awkward than sexy, realistically. You get an awkward shout-out on the air from me, thanking you for your donation. And you would get the Saturday episodes one day early, completely ad-free, just for you. So consider supporting this show monetarily if you can. I would super appreciate it. It means a lot to me, and I would that'd be great. If you want to also support us another way, you can please, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review on any place where you podcast. Tell us why this show is important for you. That would mean so much to me as well. So consider supporting Disability After Dark in those ways, and that'd be great. Just another quick, quick note before we get to the episode today. I want to let you know that it is December 4th. Yesterday, you heard a very cool special episode of a bumpin' podcast on this feed all about the release of the world's first disability-driven sex toy pre-sales for our device are now open at getbumpin.com. We have a limited run, so please go there and check us out. I'm so excited what I'm doing with this new company, and I want you to be a part of it. Please, please check out Bumpin and the Bumpin Joystick, and pick one up if you are somebody with hand limitations and disabilities, and you want to get off. So think about 
putting in a pre-sale for that if you're able to. Uh, that'd be cool. But uh, enough of my rambling and and ad stuff. Let's get to the show. Just a content note for today. The show will be dealing with discussions of suicidal ideation and suicide. So if that's something that you are not equipped to deal with, please feel free to um, to not listen to this episode or skip past those parts if that's important for you. But this episode will deal with suicidal ideation. If you or anyone you know is dealing with suicidal ideation or suicidal thoughts, I urge you to please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline and the number is 1-800-273-8255. But now, on to the show. On the show today, I speak with my Arepi guest of mine, my friend Felicia. We spoke last year initially. They came on and did, Felicia came on and did an episode of Quarantine and Chill and then they emailed me back and said I want to come on the show and talk about different stuff and fun stuff. So we recorded this episode back in April of 2021, and we talk a lot about Felicia's experience with having a diagnosis and then thinking maybe that that diagnosis wasn't correct and kind of the emotional um, dealings with that and how do you deal with the fact that you've been told you have this diagnosis your whole life and then all of a sudden that diagnosis comes up for debate, how do you feel emotionally when that happens, especially as Felicia is a disability activist, so we unpack all that. We also talk about Felicia's emerging disabled slothood, which I thought was really cool. We talk about how she is in a polyamorous relationship with her primary partner and a boyfriend, and how disability plays into all of that. From there, we talk about how Felicia is also planning a wedding with her primary partner and how accessibility and disability plays into finding a wedding venue that's actually accessible. What will her wedding look like as it needs to be accessible for not only herself, but also maybe her disabled bridesmaids? So we talk about that as well. Um, From there, we talk about a new project that Felicia is working on called The Chronic Illness Chronicles that looks at the the intersection of disability, pain, and death and what it feels like for a lot of disabled people who go through a lot of painful stuff and how they navigate feelings of wanting to die and wanting to not be a part of the world when the pain is too much. So Felicia is looking for uh, participants who want to share their experiences of being a part of the disability community and going through pain and thinking about death and thinking about their own existence. So we talk about that as well. Um, And it was really, really nice to have Felicia on and talking about a bunch of stuff. And I love just having conversations with people about their experiences of disability. And that's what we did here. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Again, there are a lot of trigger warnings for a lot of deep, deep, real conversations. So if you're listening, get ready for that. And uh, thank you very much for listening to this brand new episode. Here's my interview with Felicia right now on Disability After Dark. Felicia, hello. Hey. Hey, so nice to have you back on Disability After Dark. For anybody listening, Felicia was one of our first quarantine and chill participants last year. When we start, when I started that series, I thought we wouldn't be still doing the quarantine and chill, but we are. Um, but Felicia reached out and said, I want to come and talk about fun stuff this time and talk about stuff that isn't the pandemic. And I was like, yes, please come back on. Let's do it. So Felicia, hello. Hi, how are you, Andrew? Good, how are you? Doing all right. Uh, living off of minimal sleep and a lot of stress, but that's that's kind of my general life, so it's different. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Sounds like a lot of us are doing the same thing. I know <laughs> I have only gotten about about like four hours every night for the last like week. And my body's like, okay, this feels weird. Sleep is good. 
Yep, I relate. <laughs> um, for those who are listening who may not have heard your first stint on the show, can you just reintroduce yourself a little bit and tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and we'll go from there. Hi, yeah, so my name is Felicia. I am a disabled online disability rights activist and sex educator. Um, I have multiple uh, conditions, um, hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, posture orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, mast cell activation syndrome, and gastroparesis. Um, However, my hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome is currently up for debate because I no longer fit the diagnostic criteria for it, and I'm waiting on genetic testing right now that will take a, a variety of months to come back and see if I have one of the um, known gene mutations for a different type of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. Otherwise, I still have some kind of connective tissue disorder. They just don't know what to call it right now. Because, because I mean, I, I did an episode on Ehlers-Danlos syndrome a while back, and I remember there was like, there's like 13 types of, of EDS, right? Yeah, there's like, um, I think it's 13 types outside of hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, though I could be wrong about that. Um, I believe there's 13 known gene mutations. Um, and the only one that does not have a known gene mutation is hypermobile, and that's what's diagnosed through the diagnostic criteria in clinic. Um, I was diagnosed with it back in May of 2019, but for some reason, I am no longer matching the uh, diagnostic criteria for it now, so... Great. What was that experience for you like to get kind of to get not to get undiagnosed with something you thought you had? Was that like a, what, what is that whole because we talk about getting diagnosed all the time and like the journey of diagnosis. What was it like to be told something that you thought you had you didn't you don't have now or maybe you don't have? Well, this is still very new. I actually found this out yesterday. I had a like four hour long appointment. It took up the entire afternoon. Um and yeah, so it's still very fresh, but it's been really rough. Um, I have attached a ton of my personal and professional identity to this condition that I might not have anymore. My work online in, in the disability community is because of my Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and I work in that community. And now I feel like I don't deserve to be a part of that community because they possibly don't have it it it's it's a very confusing imposter syndrome feeling that I hate yeah that sounds like a, that sounds like a super like complicated mind fuck that like no one has like resources for like how do you how do you talk about being a part of our community when like you've like if somebody said to me oh Andrew actually you don't have cerebral palsy anymore I'd be like excuse me what Excuse me, what? My whole identity was based on how I'm hot lab CP. What? What? <laughs> like, I would, yes. be, I would be super confused. Well, what I'm trying to hold true in my mind is that my, my symptoms are very valid regardless of what diagnosis I have. The things yes. that I go through in my daily life, the fact that I'm an ambulatory wheelchair user, the fact that I have a port, the fact that I have to use braces and technology and all sorts of different things to accommodate my, my lifestyle and my symptoms and my disabilities, those don't change just nope. because the label that the doctors want to use to describe them has changed. I'm still disabled. I am still acutely disabled. That part about me hasn't changed. And I still have experiences that the Ehlers-Danlos community can relate to and that other people with these diagnoses have experienced as well. Plus, I lived two years with having that diagnosis. And just because I live in this gray space where they don't know what to call it anymore doesn't change the experiences that I have. And it also doesn't, it doesn't, it also doesn't mean the doctors are right it doesn't mean that two years from now they won't find a diagnosis it's like oh there's a there's a 14th variant of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and guess what you hit all the markers so like who knows who's to say but either way like you're disabled and that's what matters you're still a part of this community regardless of whatever label they put on it exactly and if I if I'm no longer diagnosed as having hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and they don't find a, a variant in my gene mutations that would give me a different type of Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, 
I would be like classified as hypermobility spectrum disorder, so HSD, um, which is basically just like the outcast fringes of the EDS community. However, it doesn't really feel like that diagnosis is recognized in public spaces, even though the, the experiences that people with that diagnosis have are still very real and still a part of the disability experience. They're not recognized in the same way online as EDS is. And so I, I feel like I am maybe going to have this diagnosis that is not going to be as publicly recognized. And I'm trying to talk about that more too, about how we need to accept everyone in the disability community, regardless of their diagnosis, because gatekeeping is not cool. No, it isn't. And we, we do it far too much in our communities, um, especially the disability communities. We do it a lot. I've, I am certainly guilty of it and I've learned to not be that way anymore because it's not very nice. Um, Wow, there's so much to unpack there. But what I what I would like you to remember, just as somebody who's also realizing that I have multiple disabilities this year myself, I've just recently kind of come to terms with the fact that I for sure am chronically ill too with IBS and I'm for sure have like some tummy stuff that hasn't gone away for months and months. And so I'm like, well, I guess I'm chronically ill now. <laughs> like, I guess that's what it is. Um, so I'm, I'm coming to terms with that. But either way, like whatever the diagnosis ends up being or not being, I will still see you and the disability community will still see you as disabled whether or not no matter what the label is but i want to move into something really cool because one of the one of the things you wanted to talk about on the show today was your emerging slothood um and i (laughs) i remember getting this 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 email from you being like here's things i want to talk about and i saw that and i was like okay so can you talk to me about like how this came to be and how, what does that mean for you? And how does your disabilities, how will your disabilities impact your, this new identity of yours? Yeah, so I, I'm a slut. I'm, I'm going to own that. Um, And I don't think there's anything wrong with being slut. It's used as a derogatory term, but people who love sex are taking back that term and using it to describe how awesome sexuality can be. Um, And for me, I think that my disabilities have really um, enhanced my experience of sluthood. Um, I I didn't really own my sexuality to the extent that I do now before I became acutely disabled, because I love to show off the fact that I am disabled, that these are my disabilities, that I can be a wheelchair user, that I can use mobility aids, and that I can be sexy as hell. That's awesome. I mean, yes to all those things, like so many check marks. Um, what, because the last time, the last time, uh, the last time we talked, we were doing quarantine and chill. So it was a little bit of a different kind of episode. But um, when were you like, when did you like make the decision to be like, I want to be a slut? Slut hood is for me. This is like me. When, when did that hit you? I think I really started to own it this year. Um, at the end of January, I decided to finally put myself on Tinder. Um, my partner and I, my primary partner and I have been talking about opening up our relationship for several years. However, we always kept making up excuses. And while we can't participate in like swinging, which we'd wanted to do for the last couple of years, and that's not something that we can do right now in COVID times, um, I could start to put myself out there and I wanted to see what it was going to be like to date now as a disabled person because I've never had that experience before. Um, and I wanted to put myself out there and I've learned so much about myself in the last few months through this experience. I have a boyfriend now. Um, I identify as polyamorous and a part of that and actively being able to embrace my sexuality with other people um, and start to explore my sexual side in ways that I've never had the opportunity to explore before has made me own slothood more. Um, I'd say I've adapted that term for myself now within, I'd say, the last three, four months. That's awesome. And I think also to come to a place of like disability sluthood, I think is really cool because I, for years, have been calling myself like a sexy seated slut. And like, that's what I've been, that's kind of how I've been referring to myself. And so to find someone else who's like, yeah, my disability is totally a part of my sluthood and part of my sexuality. And I'm going to own that and to do it so like 
you, you put it so like plainly on on the form. You're like, I want to shine a light on, on slut hood. And I immediately was like, this is amazing. Yes to all these things. To put it so plainly and to be like, this is who I am. That That's a journey for most disabled people. And for you to have gotten there, I'm as a fellow slut, I'm super proud of you. That's great. Thanks. I I really love this point in my life where I'm at right now. I, I love to own this part of my body. I, I think that, that this part of my identity is really, really important. And I even love it more given the fact that I'm disabled. And my work that I do online is highlighting the, the disabled experience and how varied that can be and how disabled people can also be sexy. I know you started that hashtag. You've been doing this, I mean, this kind of work a lot longer than I have. I mean, I did start that, but what I, I think there's such an, there's such a, there's such an opportunity for others like you to like come in and like make your own hashtags about slut hood and about like, you know, about like your disability and how it plays for you. Like, I'm sure if we sat here long enough, we could come up with a hashtag just for you. Maybe by the end we will, who knows? But <laughs> like you mentioned a second ago, like you, that you learned a lot about yourself when you put yourself out there more, can you share with us kind of what you've learned about yourself as oh a disabled slut since? Yeah, so much. I mean, I, I think that um, monogamous people could learn a lot about communication through polyamorous people. Um, it, it takes a whole new level of communication that I never, ever thought about before. Um, I, I have learned how to talk about being with multiple partners and setting boundaries and what that would look like. And I mean, my primary partner and I have had more serious conversations in the last few months than we have in our entire relationship, I feel. Um, wow. I've also learned that um, I am capable of feeling romantic feelings for more than one person. When I went into this experience, I thought I was just going to be hooking up with other people, that I wasn't going to be able to feel romantic feelings for multiple people. Yeah. Uh, I learned that about myself right away. I mean, I started to develop feelings for my boyfriend. We were talking about like how we wanted to um, redefine our relationship and boundaries that we wanted to set in terms of that. And I, I realized that the only reason that I was saying that I didn't know that I could date him because I'm already with someone else is out of fear and that I didn't know what that was supposed to look like and fear is a great explanation but it's not a good excuse I would agree with that how do you speaking of fear how do you feel about kind of now that you're now that you're venturing into new territory with boyfriends and different people and all this stuff how do you feel about having the oh I'm really I'm really disabled conversation with like multiple partners um, that's been a weird thing to start to like have to have that conversation with because my primary partner, I, I became acutely disabled while I was with him. So he's been with me for that entire journey and he's learned what my body's capable of and I haven't really had to explain a whole lot of it because he's witnessed it. Um, now I'm having to explain like my body can move like this. I can't do this with my neck. I can't do these with my joints. I can't be in this position. Um, and that's, that's weird because I have a hard time advocating for myself and great at advocating for other people. But when it comes to myself, I'm really bad at that. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm, I'm the, the master of like, oh no, that person's disabled and you're being discriminatory. I will fight for them. That's amazing. But when it comes to me, it's like, ah, oh, okay, whatever. I'll just let it go. Yes. Yeah, I, I am too. When it comes to myself. I don't know why, but I am not good at telling people what I need or if something's not working for me or if something's causing me pain. I'm trying to get a lot better at communicating that kind of thing, but I feel really strange about it still. And so how has that been with like with this new boyfriend of yours? How, like, how have those conversations gone of being like, I have to tell you this about my disability? Well, my boyfriend has been incredibly supportive. Um, there, there was once when we were hooking up and I felt something pop in my neck and was really scared because last time that happened, I had severe neurological symptoms from it, almost like seizure-like behavior. Um, fortunately, nothing came of this incident, but I, I did tell him about it right away. 
and he was very understanding and makes me feel better about telling him stuff like that in the future. I know he's not going to freak out about it. He's going to take it really well. He's really made that quite clear so far. So that makes me feel really good. That's great. And did he come to you with any questions of like, like, because I know a lot of partners that I see, even just for hookups, are like, I have 5,000 questions about disability that I want you to answer right now. Did you have to like, laid out for him or was he much more like okay we'll learn as we go no he, he didn't really come to me with any like questions treating me like the the guru of disability um but he definitely had questions about like what sex was going to look like what kinds of things that I could do um just specific things about my body and the way that my body works not expecting me to speak on all disabled people though yeah, yeah, I know, of course, but like, and so have you had like other partners in your boyfriend in your primary that you had to have that conversation with, or is it just those two for now? Just those two for now. First person that I matched with on Tinder, I... Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, wow. I mean, I, I was on Tinder for like 24 hours, and I matched with him, and we started talking right away. It, it happened really fast, and I haven't tried to meet anyone else at this point I'm just kind of riding this new relationship energy for now I feel like there's a lot of sex puns in there that I'm gonna just let breathe and be the <laughs> thing. Um, I'm glad nice. that you're riding I'm glad that one of us is riding something because I'm certainly not uh, um, but tell me a little bit about you also mentioned in your questionnaire to me that you um, are looking into a new diagnosis about about possibly autism and ADHD how do you like how does it feel about those how do you feel about those possible things being in being new diagnoses for you so um I have been considering an autism diagnosis for several years um my dad actually suggested it when my brother not biological step but I still call him brother was diagnosed with autism um and thought that I matched some of the the characteristics in autism um but i never pursued a diagnosis um at this point i'm not sure if i'm going to pursue a clinical diagnosis because it costs so much money it's so hard to get into those clinics it's super stressful i'm going through a lot else medically right now so i don't know if i want to pursue it um but i also don't know how like 100 accurate autism is going to be as a diagnosis um ADHD at this point is a much more accurate diagnosis for me and the things that I experience. I experience a lot of executive dysfunction, rejection sensitivity dysphoria, uh, time blindness, um, short-term memory issues, um, a lot of those characteristics that fall into ADHD and um, I I haven't been clinically diagnosed and more self-diagnosed at this point. But I yeah. and my primary partner really feel like it fits me. My primary partner also has ADHD. Um, that's kind of where I started to explore that diagnosis was through helping him get his diagnosis and understanding how his brain works. And also I can imagine because autism is so misunderstood and there are so many, um, there are so many organizations that, you know, spread false narratives about autism. I'm not going to name mm-hmm. who they are, but we all know who I'm talking about. Um, and, you know, I can imagine it'd be scary to, to say I have this diagnosis and then have people people dismiss you or look at you differently because of their misconceptions. And so I really applaud you for being willing to look at these new diagnoses and be like, yeah, this might be this might be who I this might be what I have and who I am. That's a that's a that's a lot of like emotional labor you're doing to to put that stuff out there. Yeah, I haven't talked about um, ADHD or autism a lot on my platform because it's not confirmed and I don't want to talk about something that I might have and not be a part of that community. Um, yeah. Just just like now I'm, I'm going through with GDS. Um, however, I've been talking about that for a lot longer, so it's easier to keep talking about it. But talking about something new, being afraid that I'm going to say the wrong thing, not wanting to hurt people, not wanting to own the fact that I'm a part of this community when I'm, I don't know if I am. I don't want to take up that space if it's not for me. Yeah. I, I really have struggled with talking about this online at this point. 
Well, I really appreciate that you're trying to navigate that discussion because it's not easy. And, um, you know, I know how I know how quick people are to judge when you say the wrong thing online. Believe me, I know. Uh, so so I appreciate you willing to have those hard conversations. How would you feel if they said if you if they said, hey, yeah, you do. Felicia, you do have autism. You do have this. Like, do you think you would say, oh, yeah, this now explains a lot for me? Or would it just be scary? If I do get diagnosed with autism, I mean, I'll just learn more about what that looks like for me. It'll help me understand how my brain works better. And I'll also have to figure out how to talk about it in a helpful way online as well, because I do want to talk about it. I don't want to be scared about talking about it. But I realized that I have a lot of ableist methods about speaking about autism because of my brother's diagnosis. My brother was actually diagnosed with Asperger's, which we're now not using as, as a term in the autism community. And I only just learned that. Um, I still don't yeah, really understand how that works. I think I learned that over Twitter, like two, like a day and a half ago. And I was like, okay, so what are we, what is, what is the term now? What is... Yeah, it seems odd to me how you can be diagnosed with something and then it can be pulled back just because it we realize that it isn't a helpful term to use anymore. But I, I'd always felt that it was very accurate for my brother. And so it's weird not being able to talk about it and not knowing how to talk about that anymore. Um, and then I also realized that I was using a lot of... Um, person first language when talking about autism because that was my experience with my brother um and I, I i use person first language in talking about any other type of disability but i was realizing that i was saying like autistic person or i was saying like autistic or person with autism and i wasn't using like autism as a, a part of the, the person's identity before and I am trying to figure out how to talk about that better and catch myself when I'm saying things like that because I, I don't believe in uh the, the person first language I prefer to use like identity person yeah yeah I also think that this is an important discussion because it shows that even though you are, you and I are disabled, and you, like, you, but even though you're disabled and you, you're immersed in the disability world in a lot of ways, I think what you said is really important just there because it shows that just because we're part of these communities doesn't mean we know everything. It doesn't mean we won't slip up. It doesn't mean we might not say things. We might not use language based on information that we had a second ago versus what is coming out now. So what I'm saying is like, mm -hmm. It's good that you're saying that because it shows other disabled people who may be navigating their own journey with like the proper language to use for their peers and their friends. It's okay to slip up. It's just important to listen to the people when they say like, let's try it this way. Yeah, yeah. And you're right. It's, it's really important to show that even as disabled people, we're still learning how to not be ableist in other aspects of disability experience. And I should really be talking about that more online and just showing the fact that I am uncomfortable with talking about autism for that reason. Um, I, I really should be talking about it more because it, it is really important to show that we're not perfect. And we, and you know, it's okay if we, and I, I'll say this to anybody listening who's disabled or non-disabled, if you mess up and say an ableist thing by mistake, or you, you use the wrong term by mistake, you're not a bad person. You just aren't. But when the person comes to you and says, hey, can we can we change that around? Can we try it this way? Please try to listen. That's all we want you to do. Yes. And and it's okay to learn on your feet as well. Like we, we don't know everything. We, we're not born into this world knowing absolutely everything. It's, it's okay to learn as you go and to make mistakes. Just don't be a dick about learning about it. Yeah, and I would say to you know disabled people who, who are, who are who are guiding people through the learning, be a little gentle with them. Be a little. Yeah. I think I think we have a tendency in the disability community to, you know, because we were all branded as activists now, 
So we like to, you know, do the activity thing where we yell all our feelings in places. And sometimes it's like, okay, you sometimes you do have to hold their hands and walk them through. Otherwise, they're never going to learn. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, we, we need to be patient with people who are learning right now. Yeah, and I mean, obviously. So I like that you... I like that you understand that you, that it's a journey for you. And again, becoming becoming disabled or becoming diagnosed is not linear. It's clearly, as you've kind of shown us just with this brief conversation, it's like up and down and back and forth and all around. Like it, it, the journey to becoming a, a fully formed disabled person in whatever way that looks like takes time. I don't even know if I'll ever be like a fully formed disabled person with, with air quotes around that. Um, because it, it is always going to change for me. I, I know that there are some people that have, you know, just a disability and that it, their, their symptoms don't really change. They're, they're always going to use either this mobility aid or, you know, this thing, and and then it's not going to change for them. But for me, my symptoms are always changing. Clearly, my diagnoses are always changing. I think chronic illness and disability, that, that sector of the community here that I fall in, doesn't allow for kind of the same static response through disability as, you know, someone that doesn't have chronic illnesses as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I said fully formed disabled person, I just meant like the journey to accepting the fact that you're disabled isn't yeah. linear. Um, you can definitely put air quotes around fully formed disabled person because I made it up <laughs> and I, I, I don't know what I really meant. But like, yeah, what I'm saying is I, I like that you're on the journey and I like that you are willing to recognize that the journey might not, might not, might not take you to one disability it might take you to several or it might take you to this one or this one and you're okay like to learn to navigate that but also it takes a lot of guts to navigate that and be okay so I appreciate how much you're trying to to learn about yourself as you go through this yeah and I mean even in terms of like uh, your how you used fully formed disabled person to uh, refer to being accepting of your disability I thought that I was like really accepting of my disability and then I just recently learned that I I'm maybe not as accepting of my disabilities as I thought I was I I said something about um like when I'm driving driving is the only time that I feel like I'm not disabled I feel free I feel out of my body and then I immediately felt guilty for saying that because I should be proud to be disabled but of course, there, you're allowed to have complicated feelings about an experience that gives you a lot of pain and grief. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, I always say it's like an ocean. It ebbs and flows. There are days where the tide comes in really strong, and there are days where it's just nice and relaxed, and it's cool to be disabled. No problem. And then there are days where there's fucking storms, and you're like, I hate this. I don't like it. It sucks. So I think mm-hmm. that journey for you, especially with all these new diagnoses and possible diagnoses, it's okay to, to have a, a, some stormy days and it's all right to have super complicated feelings around being disabled and coming out with various disabilities and learning about that. So that's, it's okay. And anyone listening with various hidden disabilities or invisible illnesses or chronic illnesses, I know, we know, so it's all right. Um, but I wanna shift gears because there's something really cool happening for you that I want to bring up because it's this is Disability After Dark. We were once a sexy podcast. Now we're an everything podcast. But you mentioned in your questionnaire that you're getting married to your primary partner. Yes, I am. Um, this came about super unexpectedly. Um, my primary partner has always had a lot of issues with commitment and the idea of commitment. Um, throughout our four and a half year relationship, I would check in kind of on the year and talk about like, oh, we've been together two years now. Well, that is a long time. We're probably going to be together for a long time after that. And it was kind of freak him out. And he wasn't oh, good, good or okay with talking about commitment or longer term aspects of our relationship. And this year has really taught us a lot about our relationship. I had just come out about having a boyfriend online. And then like that day, we end up getting engaged. And I 
then I'm talking to my audience about getting married and I'm just like, okay, how do I do this and not cause like a whole bunch of whiplash for everybody? Yeah. Like you can be polyamorous still and be engaged to your primary partner. Like it's okay to have like those divisions in your identity and all of those things can exist at the same time and just because now I'm getting married doesn't change the fact that I also still have a boyfriend and consider myself polyamorous but figuring out how to talk about that online it's all happened really fast figuring out how to even tell our family when I just come out as polyamorous to my family and then being like well by the way I'm also marrying my primary partner and they're like cool that's a lot (laughs) <laughs> yeah I mean my, my mom was incredibly shocked um everybody that um my partner told um it, his family immediately thought when they, when he was calling with news that I was pregnant that that he was more likely to accidentally knock me up than to ever marry me <laughs> wow wow <laughs> I know there's so many layers there um but one of the part that the part about that that I'm excited for is you're doing some wedding planning, and one of the things you said you wanted to talk about was trying to plan a wedding when you have chronic illnesses and disabilities. And you're a wheelchair user. Tell me all about that. Yeah, so I'm an ambulatory wheelchair user. I can walk around my house, but every time I leave my house, I use my wheelchair. I can stand up. I can walk a couple of feet. I just can't stand for very long. I can't walk very far. Um, so I use a wheelchair as my primary mobility aid when I'm out of the house. Um, and also there are other wheelchair users and other disabled people and chronically ill people that are going to be a part of my wedding. Um, pretty much all of my bridesmaids have uh, a varying level of mobility and will be using multiple uh, mobility aids at my wedding. So trying to figure out like if, is my venue accessible? Not just for me, like I know what my needs are. And like, I can walk a little bit. I have somebody to lift my uh, wheelchair up steps if I have to walk up a couple of steps. Um, but they might not be able to do that. And just making sure that the venue that I'm choosing is fully accessible. Figuring out like what it's going to look like to, for the ceremony versus reception. The first place that we looked at, they described their venue as like being on bricks. And, um, and then like transitioning into grass and that's kind of where the ceremony was going to be held. So I had to message everyone and be like, are you able to navigate grass? Can you manage like walking a few steps? And then we'll have chairs up at the front for everyone to sit down. Um, Cause I know that I can walk up to the altar um, with a little bit of assistance and then just sit up there and that that's fine. But I don't know if the rest of the people that are going to have to do that are also going to be able to manage that. So it's been very complicated trying to find a venue that's wheelchair accessible, that um, is wheelchair accessible for the whole thing and not just for like parts of it. Yeah. Yeah. And as soon as you said, as soon as you said disabled bridesmaids, I was like, so they got to make a movie about that. There's going to be a documentary called Bridesmaids 2. Like I would watch the shit out of that. Can somebody get on that? Can like, can like, can somebody make a bridesmaids with a whole bunch of disabled brides? Like I would so watch. There's it's comedy gold. It's gold. <laughs> I mean, I I don't make movies, but I do write books, and I am currently writing a book all about my life and my current relationship. And uh, now the wedding is going to be at the end of that book. Um, and I'm going to write about that as, as my experience shows it, um, but through like a fictionalized narrative. So yeah, there, there will be media coming out in the next five to 10 years about that. Good, good. Glad <laughs> to hear it. Um, tell me a little bit about, like, have you seen a wedding planner? Have you talked to people about that? What, what's, what's that been like if you've done that? So our wedding is going to be extremely non-traditional. We're not legally getting married. Um, Here in in the state that we live in, common law marriage is recognized. And that's when you are like cohabitating with a partner for long enough for basically the state and country just starts to recognize you as married to that person. As long as you're like out to your family is married, you're doing like what? 
other people who are married would do wearing rings or telling people that you're married or filling out tax returns together, um, anything like that. Um, however, common law is only recognized in a few states. And we're lucky that the state that we live in, Colorado, recognizes it, recognizes it with absolutely no restrictions on it. Other states have restrictions on it. It's very weird. So if we do move to another state that doesn't recognize common law, we will have to legally get married at that point. But right now, we're not signing any documents, um, which is going to make our ceremony look a little bit different. Um, so I don't want to work with a wedding planner because they're not going to understand that uh, I'm doing something very different than most people do, um, yeah. that our vows are going to look different, that we don't need to have a... Uh, officiant that's like legally recognizes an officiant. I know it's really easy to become an officiant now. You just like do some things on a website and anyone can do it. Um, but we don't even need someone that's legally an officiant. We just need someone to stand in front of a crowd and say a few words. Um, I'm not going to be like accompanied down the aisle by my dads. I have multiple dads. They're going to walk me halfway down the aisle and then I'm going to walk myself the rest of the way. Um, we're, we don't have a color code for our wedding. We don't like have have like colors that, that we want everyone to wear. Um, it's kind of just wear whatever you want kind of thing, which when I tried to explain that to my bridesmaids, there was a lot of confusion about it. They were like, what do you mean? Do you have a style in mind? Do you have any colors in mind? How, how do you mean we're supposed to just wear whatever we want? And I'm like, if you wear white to my wedding, even though that's a faux pas for most other weddings, I... I, I don't mind. Like, I'm not going to be wearing white, so you can wear white. And if anybody has anything to say about uh, how you dress to my wedding, I will personally run over their toes with my wheelchair. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> I like how non, I like how non-conformist it is. I like that a lot. Um, and also I think, you know, I was thinking because of marriage laws in the U.S. with SSI and benefits, by you not legally getting married, that doesn't fuck up your it wouldn't mess up your benefits too much, would it? So um, it's very complicated. I am currently applying for um, disability, but not SSI. And the difference to that is the amount of income that you are allowed to have. So SSI is a cap of 2000 to your personal assets at any time. Um, so that can be counted in cars, it can be counted in house, it can be counted in personal finance, what you have in your account at the moment. If you, it surpasses yeah. 2000, you can lose your benefits. I am having um, just regular disability. Um, I, I've been in the application process for that since September of last year. Um, it could be another several years before I have approval for that. So it's a very, very long process. Um, I was concerned about how that would mess everything up um, earlier this year when we filled out our taxes jointly for the first time, um, which is yeah. when we started to um, kind of recognize ourselves as married to the public. But we, at that point, we still weren't engaged. We weren't planning a wedding at that point. We were just starting to reap the government benefits of marriage. Um and I, I had to call my attorney's office and be like, hey, is this going to be a problem? Which it doesn't seem like it's going to be a problem. It seems like everything's going to be fine there. But for a lot of people, it is a problem um, because yeah. my primary partner is, he has a job that makes like $75,000 a year or, or 70, uh, how, however that's come or whatever his income is. It's really high. He, he makes a decent amount of money. Um, and that would absolutely affect my claim if I was on SSI. Yeah, and that's where my brain kind of went. I was like, oh, I'm really happy for you, but I'm also scared that the government's going to hate that. So, but I'm glad you found a way around it. And you, you, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're, you, you're getting as many benefits as you're able to without them fucking you over, which is super nice. Yeah, and just because it's not going to be a problem for me doesn't mean that it's not a problem for other disabled people. The cap on yeah. income is a huge problem. We should be allowed to save money up for our futures. We should be able to marry whoever the hell we want to marry without the government taking away our benefits. Say it one more time just for the people in the back because it's really <laughs> important. It really is. We should not be forced to live in poverty 
we should be allowed to save money for our futures and for anything that we want in our lives. We should be able to marry whoever we want to marry without the government taking our shit away. Yes. Yeah. One million percent. Yes. Um, <laughs> and now for the reason why you, the initial reason you, I mean, you're working on a new project and I want to hear all about it. I am. I am working on something called Chronic Illness Chronicles. This idea came to me um, after a really, really horrible flare um, where, and I wrote a post about this online. I was in, you know, in the phase of suicidal ideation, which I use as a coping mechanism, um, where I don't actively want to die. But when I'm in a lot of pain, sometimes I think about how much easier it would just be if this all stopped right now. Not in an actively like I want to kill myself way, but in a wow, death would be a lot less painful than this. Um, yeah. And I just had this moment of clarity that that hit me during this flare where I realized that that I didn't want death, even though I, I really craved it in that moment. I wanted to survive. I wanted to push through this moment um, because I, I want to help other people that are feeling like this and. So I'm starting this new project called Chronic Illness Chronicles. It's going to be a book about a compilation of experiences about people that deal with suicidal ideation and pain and what the worst experiences of pain can look like. The moments in which you really thought that you weren't going to be able to make it anymore. I want to hear from those people. I can't write about what pain looks like for me and have it be true for everybody's experiences. I don't even of know course. how to write about the severity of the pain that I experience. Like, I don't know if the words exist for that, but I'm hoping that with enough people talking about their experiences and putting that together into a book that, that I might be able to put something across that looks like what, what I experienced and what I know a lot of other people experience too. I think it's such a interesting and painful but important conversation about pain because we have it every day all of us and all of us with disabilities have it in different ways like right now as I'm sitting talking to you my gut is horribly uncomfortable but like that's what we do you know that's what being disabled is it's just like oh it, this feels gross but I gotta power through so I think seeing that kind of that kind of um discussion of pain in a book and on a page somewhere somebody can read that and go Oh, I'm not alone. I'm I'm in pain too every day. It's horrible, and like sometimes I want to, like you know, they might think sometimes I don't. Well, I don't want to die, but sometimes I want this to stop. And if, and I just want to know that someone else is feeling that way too. Exactly. Yeah, it's not. It, it's not like you crave death. It's that you crave this experience. This awful experience of excruciating agonizing pain to just be over where you don't have to deal with that anymore and and you might have a lot that you have left to live for and you might really love your life except for the moments that you're in pain but you're just in so much pain that you can't think about anything else except for how much you want this to be over whatever that might look like or the moments that you really don't think that you're going to be able to survive the amount of pain that you're in like you think that this yeah. is actually what death looks like. And and so what kind of stories are you looking for in the, in these chronicles? Like what kind of stuff do you want to highlight? I, I would like to highlight anything, honestly, that has to do with the intersection between pain and death and pain and suicidal ideation, um, anything like that. I want people to write about their true experiences with the absolute worst moments of their and again, I think that it's a really fascinating project because we in the disability community have not been allowed to have those discussions. We've been told to keep our chin up, keep our head up, power through, like rise above, it'll be okay, the pain will go away, don't worry. But when we're in that kind of pain and we're, have, we're suffering like that, it's really hard to talk about. So I think you putting this out there, first of all, it's a brave fucking thing to do because those two things are like, disability and death are two things no one wants to talk about so the fact that you want to put it in a book is it's a big endeavor and I applaud you 
yeah, I, I have no idea how to do this. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I don't have a time frame for what this is going to look like. I don't know when I'm going to be able to publish. I don't even know how to publish a book. I'll, I've been in the writing stage of my own books for years, and I, I don't know how to put a, a project like this forward. If you have any ideas on how to write a book, I'm all ears. If you have any suggestions for how to make this work, please. Um, if anybody listening to this has any suggestions about how to make this work, please email me. I would love to hear from you. I, I don't know how to make this work. All I know is that it needs to exist. 100% it does, for sure, for sure. And it's such a good project and such a good idea. Um, well, we have hit about the hour mark. Do you have any anything else you want to share that we haven't touched on yet? Um, yeah, so I, I, I did also want to add on with, with the um, intersection between pain, disability, and death as well. We did lose, at least in, in the week that we are recording this right now, we just lost a couple of members in the disability community a couple of weeks ago. Um, so it, the, the prevalence of death in this community is extremely high right now. It makes us think a lot about our, our own um, lives and, and when we're going to die, because when we see people with the same conditions that we have dying, which we see all of the time, it yeah. really makes us think about, you know, well, when are we going to die? How, how long do we have left to live? And the answer is that we just don't know. And a lot of people, myself included right now, are really struggling with survivor skills knowing that we have these same conditions or we have similar conditions and that we're the ones that are left behind and we're the ones that get to still experience joy and life and love and pleasure and all of the wonderful things that come in with life and that other people don't and that other people's family members don't get to have those people in their lives anymore. Um, I think it's okay to make room for these really uncomfortable feelings, but I also want to say that we're here because we're here and we need to live abundantly because of that. Um, we, we owe it to the people that didn't make it to live and love abundantly. But it's so funny that you talk about, you know, us thinking about our own death. I've been thinking, I think about my death all the time, weirdly, and it's weird, like at 2 a.m. when I'm alone and like everything is shut off and I'm in my bed and I can't sleep. My brain will go to, I wonder if I've done enough. I wonder if I've, if I have, have produced enough. I wonder if I'm going to be, if, if I died tomorrow, would I be remembered? Would something, would anybody care? Like is, or, you know, and because I have disabilities that, you know, presumably shorten my lifespan a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think about, will I get to do all the things everybody else gets to do as adults? Will I like, will I get to have, a long-term partner? Will I get to like fuck somebody up against a bathroom stall one day? Like, will I get to do all the things that I want to do in my life? And I, so I think about that all the time. So it's really, this is why I'm excited by this project because it is something I think we in the disability community think about and we just don't know how to process that because we've been told by everybody else that we're not allowed to talk about it. Yes. And I think about those things all the time too, Andrew, you're not alone there. I, I think about the fact that that I have a port which could at any time get infected or I could have something seriously wrong go with it and it could kill me right away, that I, I wouldn't even know what's happening, that I, I could be fine one day and in a hospital the next. I, I don't know what my life is going to look like. And now that I'm getting married, I think about too the fact that I'm putting this on my partner that... I, I don't know how long I'm going to live. I don't know if I'm going to have children. I don't know if I'm going to be able to grow old with the person that I love more than life itself. And I, I think about that a lot. And I, I think that, that it's okay to think about those things as morbid as they are. We should be allowed to think about that. It's our experiences. And I, I think because... Oh, no. Andrew? Hello. Oh no, did I lose you? Oh, oh, I think you're back. You cut out there. You said I, I think is and yeah, I lost you. Oh, sorry, yeah, you totally froze. I said 
I think this I think this project and I'll I'll, I'll cut all this out. I think this project um okay, I'm going to start again. So I think this project is really great because it might open up different conversations we're not having in this community right now about death, about life, about what do you really want? What are your goals? What are your values? Who are you? And I think that's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I absolutely agree with that. And um, I I would just love for anybody that is wanting to participate in this project or who has something to say on this matter to email me. Andrew will provide my email, I'm sure, somewhere yep. around. In the, um, sh- in the show notes, for sure, for sure. Perfect. Um, if there's a p- specific email for this project, like maybe that too, if there's one, or if you want to make one, we can do that too. Like, um, I was just going to have all of it sent to my um, primary email, the one that I've been emailing you on, the um, city sure, of Fallen sure, yeah. Match, but um, that's hard to spell. So it- it'll be somewhere um as well as you can also send me a dm on instagram about your experiences as well um i don't care how you get your your experiences to me if you want to be a part of this project i would love to hear from you well i will certainly be a part of this project let me know how i can be involved and i definitely want to Um, good (laughs) i'd love to have you as a part of this as well that's why i wanted to talk to you about this i would definitely love to because you just you just wrote the the handy book and so you have some experiences with something similar to this. So I'd love to know how to do this from your experience. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I can tell you from a, from a curation standpoint, what we did with the book, we, you know, we, we just put calls out. We put calls out on social media. We emailed people we knew. We found people on social media that we liked and found their emails and said, hey, like you're, we love your voice. What do you want to write on this? Like, we, we did our homework on the people that we found and said, we want you to be a part of this. So it might take some kind of wrangling on your part to find the participants mm-hmm. to get them to want to be a part of the project. But once you have them, like, like we didn't think the handy book would go and then look what we ended up with. So it's pretty cool. Amazing. Yeah. And I, I, I was a participant in that book as well. Um, I think that it was a very wonderful experience. I have it out in my living room right now. I love that you were able to pull that together with a whole bunch of people and make that happen. I think it's really, really important and that that kind of work needs to be out there. Definitely. And and the same with your book. I think like once you get the the people behind you talking about these hard conversations, and I mean, maybe it's not even just a book about just pain and, and death and suicide. Maybe it's a book about like, disability overall and like mostly about pain but also but like the the triumphs over pain the good moments the moments when even when you're hurting and the world sucks you're still smiling at like maybe there's a, a larger narrative to get people to to buy into the idea yeah yeah I think that's great as well and I think that all of those experiences need to be shared as well so I, I definitely would like to expand that as well. Just if you do have anything to contribute, feel free to reach out. I'm, I'm happy to hear from you and happy to include you in this project. Awesome. And so how, just so people can can follow you and follow your work, how do they how do they do that? Um, so are you going to include all of this below as well? Because um, yeah. things are difficult to spell. So my email address is cityoffallennatch at gmail.com. That will be below. Um, and my uh, Instagram is for the period girl who waited. And I'll make sure that all that's in the show notes. Thank um, you. And Felicia, this was such a fun, different chat from the last time. It wasn't a hundred million percent pandemic focus. It was nice to get out of the pandemic bubble, but uh, this was great. And I love sitting down with you. It was wonderful talking to you too. Thank you for having me on. Of course, and I'm sure we'll talk again. And as soon as you, as soon as the, you know, it's safe to do the weddings things, I want to see pictures. I want to see, I want to see like a bunch of disabled bridesmaids. And let's figure out that movie or that book or that story somewhere. Like somebody's got to produce that. Yes, we're aiming to have our wedding in July of 2022. So hopefully the world looks in a lot better of a place by then. I mean, at least in the U.S. here, um, adults uh, 16 uh, years of age or older are now 
all eligible to get the vaccine. So I, I think that hopefully we're going to be able to turn a stone here um, and start to see things be better. But yeah, we're, we're planning on getting married in July of 2022. Hopefully that pans out. We're about to book a venue right now. There, there will definitely be pictures. They'll be all over my social media. I'm a hoe for wedding planning stuff. So I'm producing a <laughs> lot of content like that right now. I feel like a lot of other people are also really into wedding stuff and videos and talks about that because my engagement has gone up like 50% in the last two weeks. Amazing. That's great. Though. That's <laughs> perfect. Um, anybody out there who has some accessible wedding tips for Felicia, let us know and Please. send her an email and pop her in a note because, because we need more accessible weddings in the world. We need more stories like that. So that's great. Yes, please. If um, you have any ideas, please reach out. I'm, I'm all ears. It's such a weird dichotomy. If you have any ideas for a happy wedding moment or a bug about death and pain, <laughs> let Felicia know. The, all of these things are allowed to exist in the same body and in the same experience. And it is a very diverse dichotomy there because you know one of these things is light and one of these things is dark um but happiness exists in pain and we would not know what true happiness was if we didn't know what true pain and true horror was and disabled people know that feeling far too well so yes. you're entirely right so felicia this was so great i had so much fun i had love sitting down with you and um you and i'll talk soon yeah thanks for having me on Thanks for being on. Bye. Bye. All right, friends. That's another episode of Disability After Dark. From me, your disabled daddy, Andrew Gerza. If you want to follow my work, you can follow me on social media, on Instagram and Twitter, at andrewgerza underscore, or you can follow my website, www.andrewgerza.com, to find out more about what I do. And, of course, you can follow us on Patreon to get the show one day early and completely ad-free by going to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark, or you can send us an email to disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com and let us know your ideas for an episode, for a minisode, or for a guest spot. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back to shine a bright light on your disabled stories next time. Copyright Notice. Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Drew Gerza and Wheels on the Ground Productions. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright 2020-2021.